0: Listening to BuddhistGeeks.com October 1st, 2007. Episode 39 More on Tibetan Studies at Naropa. In this episode, Ryan continues his conversation with Troy Omafrey and Corey Leistico, two of his fellow classmates in Naropa University's MA Indo Tibetan Studies program. They discuss requirements of the program, including Natarta Institute, Datuns, and Tibetan language. This is part two of a two-part series. This episode of Buddhist Geeks is sponsored by the Do No Harm Movement. To find out more about the Do No Harm Movement, and to receive a free Do No Harm bumper sticker and wristband, please visit www.donoharm.us. The program also includes, uh, or it's requisite to go to Natarta Institute and study there for a whole month. It's kind of like on par with doing a month meditation retreat, I'm guessing, except rather than meditating all day, you're like doing intense study, which is an integral part of Tibetan practice. Both of you went this summer, so maybe you could say a little something about that.
1: You know, as you mentioned before, our program is essentially based on the materials that Natarta Institute has put together Specifically for this month-long intensive they have every year. When we got there, I'll I'll say for myself, I was like, okay, we're having more of the same, you know, that we've had at Naropa. However, there were only a few of us who were there who are actually Naropa students. Everyone else are people from the community who have been, maybe that was their first time really studying Buddhism from this perspective, or maybe this was their fourth Natarta, that they make it a Mm. habit every year to come out and continue these teachings. Because essentially, they've laid it out that if you come every year, within nine years, you will have covered all of the material that they have in the Shedra program. So it was interesting to all of a sudden come from our neuropa background, even after one year, and jumping in with people who've been studying this stuff for years to people of their first time. However, they weren't necessarily academic students in the way that we think mm-hmm. of. They, you can't say that they weren't uh, knowledgeable about the subject matter. We have quite a few different classes in there, and found ourselves in many different, amazing conversations with people who had full time jobs the rest of the year, but they devoted a good month out of every year studying this stuff, and had a very unique perspective and unique insight on some of these things. So, it was an interesting experience.
2: I think of some of the specifics, like classes six days a week, eight in the morning until six at night, rushing to lunch, rushing back from lunch. And then studying as hard as you could at night to get ready for the next day. Six Joyful. days a I can't week. can't wait for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Uh-oh. but it was fun. It's oh, fun yeah. too, though. It, uh, <laughs> how can it be fun? Well, you know, you did the... It wasn't as... You're not graded. So there's not this pressure. If you have this anxiety about grades, it just goes out the window. And that I know that helps me. So yeah. then you just do the best you can. and uh, But the thing is, it's just the intensity. After four weeks, I moved different. I, I re- it really changed my mind about things. Mm. for a while, at least, until mm-hmm. the spell wore off. But you can do as much or as little as you want to it at Natart, which was cool. Corey and I took, I suppose, an elective Tibetan class. Yeah. Tibetan uh, spoken, spoken Tibetan, and literary Tibetan. Mm-hmm. And that was really neat because we get to break away from Phil and we got to work with Mark Seabolt. So that is there. That's an amazing component, I thought. Yeah, maybe we could say something briefly so, about the Tibetan language study. Um, so, both the
0: master's program, you can either study Tibetan or Sanskrit. And Tibetan seems to be the stronger of the two programs. I don't know if that's one hundred percent accurate, but I Phil is pretty um, intense with Tibetan study, and he comes straight from UVA. I'm forgetting the teacher's name there. He studied under um, Hopkins. Hopkins, Jeffrey Hopkins, which Tibetan folks probably know. He has all kinds of books. So Phil teaches our Tibetan courses. And then now um, Sarah Harding is going to be teaching Tibetan four and six, at least from here on out. People might know Sarah Harding because she's published in books too. And she's a Lama. She was one of the primary students of Kaldurin Rinpoche, a translator for him and a lot of other folks. The book that I know of is on Chud practice. So we have a little bit of a mix. And the study, as I mentioned, is quite intense. So Phil gets very detailed with the Tibetan study, very intense grammar. And at the same time, I felt he's done a really good job of trying to help us integrate that through other classes, and through our own practice, too. It's not like we're just studying a text coldly. I don't know what your feelings are so far. You, I'm a little bit further in the Tibetan, but you've had at least a semester where you translated part of the Jewel Ornament of Liberation.
2: As you were talking there, I was just realizing the diversity of Tibetan language experts and translators that we have been exposed to. Yeah. You know, and being in Boulder is interesting, too, because there's, a you know, there's Jules here, and Bill, and then we go to Natarta, and there's Mark Siebel. And so you're getting different points of view, and you're talking to people who've been working within a Tibetan language for 20 plus years or whatever, that's very rich. And, you know, if uh, Naropa was at some other place in the world, it wouldn't work as well, I don't think. Yeah, that's true. Maybe that's why there's concentration here, I suppose. Mm
1: -hmm. It seems in our particular program, the Shedra program... At least in our year, everybody who came in also studied Tibetan. Yeah, we lucked out. Yeah, whereas I know the history of religion's track of the Indo-Tibetan Buddhism, I don't know if any of them are studying Tibetan. Maybe, I think there are a couple now, but they may focus on Sanskrit or maybe not even language at all. Whereas it seems like we're jumping into a tradition's view, there's already this heavy emphasis on understanding you know, at least some kind of Tibetan language. The fact that we're studying Tibetan language as well, on top of the Shedra, really, I think, adds to the depth of the program. Yeah. I can't imagine studying this Shedra program without studying Tibetan, because it just seems like oh, yeah. they just help each other, and it just adds more and more depth to everything we're studying.
0: It seems like all the Buddhist traditions have this challenge in the West that we're trying to get text translated, and, and then not only translated, but into the terminology that we all understand. We're like half and half, it seems like we've gone quite far and getting english translations um yet we're still really reliant on trying to understand what everyone's trying to tell us i've found that i understand much more having studied the language because the language is like just infused with dharma i mean like that's kind of the cool thing about the tibetans at least because they were just walled off in their own little buddhist land and like their whole language is just dharma filled and understanding some of those words and the phrases and sentences and how they think about things has actually helped me in my own practice in an indirect sort of way certainly challenging. It's kind of like this arduous process. It's like, damn, I have to go study Tibetan language in order to practice it. But someone has to do it if we want to get it over here, you know, Mm -hmm. and into English language.
2: I just wanted to add that even in the non-Tibetan language courses, all the classes actually contain opportunities to apply your Tibetan
0: Right. And that was the kind of the nice thing about the three of us, we all entered into the core classes together and we're all studying Tibetan language. And so that allowed us to go into more Tibetan in our other classes because there's no one being left out. Oh, so right. like when we were in Mind and its world with Lama Tempa, we could just go all day along with Tibetan.
2: So that doesn't always happen? It's not always just Tibetan students. I don't think so. Actually our first <laughs>
0: semester we didn't and so some students were annoyed because we kept going into <laughs> Tibetan.
2: Well, too bad for them.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so if given our program we're hard asses and we don't care what you think we're kind
2: of elitist you gotta watch out (laughs) it is true we and the there is a hierarchy and the classes are
0: are a bit small so that's kind of a good thing so you get really intimate with uh llama tempo and phil um the program is expensive but they have new scholarships available that are pretty fat or at least they're on the process of that I wondered if we maybe could say one little thing about conceptuality and practice, because this is something that we've studied or talk a lot about in our program, because we're sitting here doing a lot of conceptual study and like, how does this tie into practice? Do you all have any opinions on that related to conceptuality and meditation?
2: I wasn't afraid to conceptualize. I was ready to conceptualize, but mm. I think it's Phil and the rest of the crew trying to disabuse me of that. That was actually pretty neat. I, w- I never got any of that in any my other classes, even with Jules Levinson, We taught my classes back at Hamlin. We would never sit and contemplate or, you know, be encouraged to let go like a practitioner would.
1: I felt the the key to that, which is I'm finding more and more appreciation for, I think, is the analytical meditation aspect that we have every semester, even if it's just a one-credit class or the self-and-no-self class that we had. It takes what we're studying academically in our classes and directly... Teaches us how to apply that to a practice. I mean, it may not, we're not sitting there doing yidam or deity practice here, like, you know, like a lot of Tibetan Buddhism is known for. Right. However, it's really bringing us close to understand, as the title says, the relationship between our mind and the world. Mm -hmm. And this foundational Buddhism really gives us so many tools to do that. Mm-hmm. Just through the mind in this world classes it gives us array of vocabulary to use and and start labeling aspects of our mind. We may think that, oh great, more labels. do we really need to add more labels? however, mm-hmm. as we learn in these classes, it's about labeling more and more subtle processes in how our mind relates to the world and how suffering arises. And
0: and I found it gives you a a nice way to really check yourself of what your actual experience is, because you have a little bit more articulation about it. And and again, I keep going back to the point, it's really easy, especially in Tibetan tradition, to trick ourselves of saying we're a little further along in our practice than we really are. So this allows you to find some places, some descriptions and say, okay, what is my actual experience? You know, what am I aware of? And usually it's pretty ambiguous because we have no way of talking (laughs) about it. One other component, and this is a pretty integral one, is doing a month meditation retreat. So we have the month at Natarta that you're required to do for non-credit, but it's an intense study. And to complement that one is the month at Datun. So we're required to go on a month meditation retreat where you meditate eight hours a day, minimally it's open. You, you don't have to do it with any specific place. So some people might think that we're really connected to Shambhala tradition, which Naropa is, but our program really not at all. It kind of maybe bleeds in every once in a while, but I don't really see it too much. So you can do a tomb with Shambhala, but you can do it with anybody. You can do it Zen center or uh, your own traditions. So um, we've all done a month retreat. No, not yet. Oh, they, um, so I'm the only person to have done that so you far. Have.
2: Okay. You did it last year.
0: I did it in the summer.
1: Oh, oh before we started our program actually. Yeah right? cuz I was
0: kind of already in the program but yeah. I just didn't take any of the core classes except for like Tibetan and I took some electives. They suggest you have there's an order to the program but it never works out because it's like ludicrous to actually do the program <laughs> in 2 years. If you do language it's what 60 some credits, 60 61 yeah. credits. It's incredible. On 61. top of having 2 month long Intensives. They, they suggest you do that within literally a year. So you do a semester, you go on a month retreat in the winter and then you come back for spring semester and then you do a month in the summer. Yeah. But no one does it that way. I haven't seen anybody because it's just too much. Yeah, so they have us do a meditation retreat. So that's another pointer that Naropa really emphasizes. The contemplative meditation practice all conceptual intellectual study is mirrored in meditation so i did a month meditation retreat and i was able to swing it to do a solitary retreat within my tradition so they're pretty flexible in how you do it and working with you in your meditation practice i could see how the timing of it might have a bigger impact you know and depending on what kind of meditation retreat you're going to do if you were doing the middle of the year or if you do it after a year of study your experience obviously is going to be different So when are you two planning on doing your month retreat?
1: I'll be be doing it this winter break. Where at? They've given me permission to actually go down to Trangur Rinpoche's Vajra Video Retreat Center in Crestone to work with the Kempo and Lama down there. However, I haven't fully decided if that exactly is what I'm going to do, because I would be more on my own doing more of a solitary thing under the guidance of them. Or if I do want to kind of just, okay, I'm going to go try this uh, Shambhala Datun experience well, there'll be... People, I don't know how many people they've Yeah, got that could be a whole other show, because yeah. I've heard all
0: kinds of interesting yeah. stories about the Shambhala Datoons, Yeah, We'll just leave it at that. For yeah. Right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I haven't fully decided, but yeah, they did give me permission as well to cool. kind of step outside of their Shambhala tune. That so. sounds awesome.
2: How about you, Troy? haven't decided. I mean, uh, last year I said I was going to do it, and they, they sent my check up to Shambhala, and now they're telling me that they can't get the money back. So... <laughs> My destiny might be uh, laid out for me already, so I might have to go to Shambhala after, is all said and done. But yeah, I don't know. I guess I appreciate that they allow you to do whatever you want, but I think that limits then the funding that is uh, given to some students. Oh, really? I think so. Mm. But I could be wrong on that too. Yeah. So I don't know. I probably see myself going to Shambhala. I've never been up there. I'm not sure what to say. I've been on retreats before, so it's not as if that thing is going to be completely new to me. So sure. Well, this is my
0: experience in ways, my impression. A lot of people entering our program are actually, or our specific track, have in the past been a little bit more involved or experienced practitioners. I haven't noticed too many people coming to it like, "What's Buddhism?" You know, or like, I I studied a little Buddhism in you know college, but I mean, like, they have some sort of contemplative yeah. background.
2: Especially um, if you're entering the Shadra, then you kind of know what that is. Yeah, I mean it's such a foreign term. Right, and this so.
0: year I only—it looks like maybe about four people are going into the program into our track, and then like about I don't know ten or something like that are going into history religions. So I think history religions is also the more rock star track because you got
1: Reggie over there and
0: uh-huh. Judith and.
1: Well, also, I yeah. think a lot of those students are specifically in the MDiv program, which I think just the nature of that program, people want a little bit more of an overview of. Right. That know, makes a lot of sense. Rather than it's very specific. However, that doesn't exclude people from the MDiv program and being in our track. I know Robert... Right, You know, was an MDiv student. He graduated from the Shedra track and he loved it. So he felt Mm. it actually gave him a very unique uh, insight into being a Buddhist chaplain.
0: Yeah, and that could be a whole nother show there too, the MDiv program, because it's one of the, maybe only, I don't really know if any Buddhist MDiv programs across the country, but it's one of the best. One more
1: just starting though. Oh, cool. Yeah, University of the West in California. Mm.
0: That'd be cool. We should probably do something like that. Talk to some MDiv folks. So anything else for the listeners about this? I think we did a pretty good job of giving them a the. The Shedra overview. track
1: is the coolest of the two tracks, just to <laughs> let you know. It's the best. That's really all it comes down to. And so. if you're a Buddhist
2: geek,
0: I mean, it's <laughs> the geekiest. This
1: is, you know, get but any geekier. Right. Right. Most, piece,
2: most people have missed the boat on the coolest year of people, which is ours. So, that's, yes, that's, it's kind of too bad. You know, we'll hang around because
0: we're all going to like take that five years that, to graduate. <laughs> okay well we're gonna wrap this up so troy and Corey, thank you for coming on and sharing your experiences listeners if you have questions or you want some further you know uh, answers or clarification i th- think uh, all three of us will be open to responding to those in uh, the comment section or via our contact form so um thanks thank you thank you this has been a presentation of com. copyright 2007 Music in this podcast provided by C for Chaos. For more great music and writing, visit his blog at www.cforchaos.com.
3: Join us for the 4th annual Buddhist Geeks conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, Abbot of the Village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and Pragmatic Dharma Provocateur Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com slash conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners